0: Welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode I'm joined by the founder of Tata Harper skincare, Tata Harper. Born in Colombia, Tata Harper grew up surrounded by beauty. Her grandmother would host a weekly spa party at home with Tata helping her mix together facial treatments, hair masks and body scrubs for her family and guests. This would take place every weekend for a full morning, and it's a tradition that has helped shape Tata's own beauty philosophy, a philosophy she maintains to this day. Despite that early interest in beauty and later in fashion, Tata studied engineering and worked as an industrial engineer before moving to the US in the year 2000. In 2005, Tata's stepfather was diagnosed with cancer, a diagnosis that prompted Tata to begin looking at her own health and, in turn, her lifestyle. Tata grew conscious of what she was putting on her skin each day and began looking for a natural alternative to the luxury brands to which she'd grown accustomed. Given that this was some 15 years ago, no such high-end alternative existed, so Tata set out to create one. The Tata Harper brand launched in 2010 and has been cited by many guests on this very podcast as being the first brand of its kind, the first truly luxury natural beauty brand. A pioneer and intent on remaining one, Tata Harper is one of few brands that formulate, quality control and pack all of their products in-house. In Tata's case, that's on her farm in Vermont. At a time when in house formulation and manufacturing are still far from the norm. Her brand is now stocked worldwide, and I truly found Tata's insights to be so, so valuable throughout this conversation. She was incredibly honest about the time, the difficulty, and the cost of sustainable manufacturing. And her advice to tread carefully when seeking investors is really, really insightful. In this conversation, Tata shares the early career choices her mother did not approve of, the ways in which her background in engineering has helped her optimise her brand's operations and what physically qualifies a product as high-end. You were born in Colombia to a half-French, half-Irish mother and a half-Austrian, half-German father. So let's start right there. What is your very, very earliest memory of beauty?
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a, a very uh, beauty centric culture, you know, Colombia like America in general, like women love their beauty potions, their beauty creams. And I am like one of 35 cousins and most of us. Are, are, are women. So there was a lot of girls in my family and we were all obsessed with beauty, including my grandmother. My grandmother was kind of like the head of the family when it came to all things, splurging beauty. And, uh, and she used to do these spa parties in her house that we would wake up really early in the morning because I was her favorite uh, granddaughter. And we would like, she would wake me up at 6 AM and we would start like smashing avocados, mixing like, you know, honey with sugar, uh, boiling like oatmeal. She loved, like she had this oatmeal mask that, uh, that she loved making. And, and I was there helping her and put it all together. And, uh, and then like tons of my family members and her friends would arrive. For like a whole morning of beauty rituals, just so you get an idea, and it would be like masking, oil in the hair, uh you know, like body treatments. She would bring like even like mani-pedi uh, ladies to come and do our, our our nails. Like it was like getting ready for the weekend, and this happened between like eight thirty a.m. to let's say like lunch. And, uh, and it was like a whole morning and those were my early memories of beauty. Just, you know, in the, in the family with her, just doing a lot of DIY and, and, and also, you know, I think that that helped form my ideas of beauty because I, I never see beauty as a chore or something that I don't have time for. It's, it's kind of like a way of pampering yourself, right? Like making yourself feel better, look better. So. It, it, it was very formative for me. Um, and, and it also helped me just like love beauty since I've been very, very young.
0: That sounds like heaven. This makes me want to just take one morning off every week and just have my beauty morning.
1: Saturdays, Saturdays or Sundays could be a good day. You yeah. know, I, I try to do it with my kids. I am not as rigorous as she is. And I'm not into the DIY so much just because I have like our products. So, sure. You're so <laughs> doing that. But I do try to, you know, kind of like pass on my love of beauty to my kids. I have three kids, two girls and a boy, and uh, and they love they love their their routine. So it's like a, a big accomplishment for me.
0: So you've always been kind of surrounded by beauty. What did you think that you might be when you grew up?
1: So I grew up thinking that I was gonna be a fashion designer. Ah. <laughs> and even I was in high school. I had a fashion line like a very small line um, that I started with a friend and we would like go to Miami, buy the fabrics, and then we would have a, we would hire a pattern maker. Like we would like find all the people that help us do the, the line. And then it was really much inspired by things that me, me and my friends loved using. But my mom was really not supportive at all of me studying fashion. She's like, that's just very narrow. Like you know, like I think that you should, you know, if you want to study that later, that's another thing. But I think that you know, like I think that you should study something that gives you like a broader range and that you can apply to many, many industries. And and even if you want to be a fashion designer later. So I ended. She ended up like convincing me slash twisting my arm, so that I study industrial engineering, and uh, and I. I didn't even know what that was. I was like industrial engineering. Like that sounds so intense. Like, I was in school. I was not like the best student. You know, like my sister was always like honor roll, like honor <laughs> society. I was like B, B plus. You know, like very you know average. So I was like, oh god. Well, I'll try. And if I can't, then you know I can't. But I ended up loving it. I ended up loving it. I had never gotten like A. A grades and in college it was A A plus like I, I you know like it's such a revelatory moment for me <laughs> like I was like wow I, I really enjoy this and and I think that I enjoyed it a lot because engineering like industrial engineering it teaches you like a way to think
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: I think that that was just really really good for me like I, I really embraced it and I love it. I love like thermodynamics like we I, I was fascinated with materials, material sciences and exploring materials. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, I thought that I was going to be a fashion designer, but no, that, that didn't, maybe for another life.
0: Now, engineering and skincare may not seem to be inextricably linked, but I imagine there is some sort of a connection here that you can share with us. Were there any lessons that you picked up during that time? as an engineer, that you find you're still applying to your work now?
1: Totally. I, I think that I am actually, you know, because I, what I was saying is like engineering, it teaches you like a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that I apply engineering to a lot of things, not only my work, too, but to a lot of things. Like it's it's like an approach of how to approach things, you know what I mean? And uh, and it's all about like really like critical thinking So it was really important. Like I think that it has helped me with a lot of things in life, including, uh, you know, starting my business. It's and also like today, uh, you know, I was having like a production meeting. I think that engineering is really about helping you optimize uh, methods, times, ways of doing things, Um, and it's you know it's also about giving you like critical thinking that can be applied to anything industries, decisions that you make. It's kind of like, I have my engineering brain on at all time. And, uh, and, and I actually love it. I I find it very useful and, and it, and it kind of like also helps you like go around obstacles, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because you're always in engineering, you are always trying to figure things out. So it's like, how do we figure out how to do things? And uh, and I've always been quite resourceful, but I think that with engineering, it just like got heightened, you know, like that that skill.
0: It was in the year two thousand that you moved to the U.S. What was it that prompted that move? So
1: I fell in love with, ah. uh, with a guy that I ended up marrying, Henry, and uh, and he is my partner. We we ended up getting married, having kids. Uh, we're no longer married, but we're still business partners. And, uh, and that's how we ended up moving here to the US. I I left home in Colombia, like in my early 20s. And uh, my whole family was shocked, like, who is this guy? Like, like, why are you going to Miami to live with him? Uh, it was quite shocking because I come from, you know, Latin culture is very conservative. So this idea, you know, like 20 something years ago of like leaving home and, you know, and, you know, going and living with your boyfriend, like that was like unheard of. Like my mom, like I didn't thought that my mom was ever going to speak to me again. Like she actually didn't speak for almost two to three years, I think. Uh, but eventually it all worked out. And uh, yeah, but that's how I
0: ended up uh, here in the U.S. If my research serves me, it was in 2005, so five years after that move, when your stepfather was diagnosed with cancer and you first began kind of looking into the effects of lifestyle choices on our overall health. Can you talk mm-hmm. me through that time? What can you share with me? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was um, it was very sad. It was the first time that we had cancer in the family, and my mom was just like really stressed. And because I was living in Miami, and he, you know, he wanted to get treated in the U.S., I was kind of like his companion in the journey, and accompanied him to a lot of doctors, a lot of clinics, a lot of different places, and uh, and it really changed my life because uh, I learned the importance of. Kind of like how you live and uh your lifestyle and how it affects you know like all the choices that you make how it affects in a really big way your health um especially things that happen in your life every single day i remember the doctors being like you know don't pay so much attention to what happens every three to four times a year but really about what happens in your life every single day because there's this thing called the toxic load that i had never heard about before but it's about um, the accumulations of toxins every day in our life through interactions with chemicals or with substances, right? And how it affects your health. And for, for some people, like your toxic load is like really elevated to the point that maybe diseases can manifest. So they were um, really recommending that I help him change a lot of the things that he was in touch with every day. And, uh, and I thought that I had a healthy life because, you know, I've always been like a health enthusiast, always following, you know, eating well, exercising, uh, but I had never heard about the toxic load. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God, I don't want my toxic load to be higher. You know, like I was in my twenties, didn't have kids back then. So I started changing a lot of the things that I used to buy, you know, especially like food. And cleaning products, even like I changed like my dry cleaners, mm-hmm. uh, but skincare was that last frontier where I was like, oh my god, like I I was really attached. First of all, to this Swiss skincare line that I've loved for all my life, and you know my mom used to love, and and it was like really high tech and just like very uh, efficacious, and um, and then trying to find a natural option to that was impossible. And that's, you know, and that's what actually prompted me to start the line because it, it was either like I remember I, I, I trying to find like natural like serums and eye creams and moisturizers. Like I would go to like you would find them like in natural food stores or like little obscure apothecaries. Where yeah, they were natural, but they were also like quite simple and not very high quality. And, um, and I didn't like the experience. I didn't feel that they give me any results. I broke out with many of them. And then I remember just going back to like department stores and beauty stores where I used to get my products and be like, please guys, like girls help me find, like, I want to go natural. What do you have? And there the scenario was different. There is like, oh yeah, we have this products with algaes and with roses and with orchids. But a lot of those products, once you turn around the box, they were just mixtures of botanicals and synthetics. and um, And I didn't want to put any synthetic chemicals in my skin or in my body, just because, you know, there's research in a lot of chemicals, but there's no research in thousands of chemicals. So I was like, I just want to avoid like chemicals all together because maybe 10 years on the line, who knows what they find out about X, Y, or Z. So, um, I felt that a lot of like those mixes of synthetics with botanicals were pointless. At least for me, I was like, I want something to have like no synthetic chemicals. Like how can I find like a product that contains all these amazing algaes and orchids and honey and all this like great, like ingredients that you're talking about, but that don't contain any of the synthetic things. And then I started Googling like, oh my God, what are all of these like unpronounceables, you know, like what is all of this stuff? And then I started uh, realizing that they were a lot of, uh, you know, like parabens and, you know, pegs. And I started realizing that they were not necessarily the active ingredients, right? The ingredients that do amazing things for the skin, but they're there to be more functional. Um, and uh, And I was like, okay, the lady at the store said that we needed to have all the synthetic chemicals because they were the ones providing the results, uh, right? And they, they were needed. But then here I'm Googling and I'm seeing that these are have nothing to do with the results. And they're mainly there to emulsify, to thicken, to stabilize, to handle pH. You know, like I, I got really deep into the science. I've always been like very nerdy like that. And, uh, and I was like, you know, like how, how can we find that? And that's how this whole journey began, you know, um, trying to dissect cosmetic formulas and, 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 and figure out like, can we do this? Like, like why? And I it was very curious about like, why didn't this exist? Right. Like why wasn't there a product that was completely natural and, you know, well into the development of the line, I just realized that it was really hard. It was really hard. It took me many, many years to develop the line. It took me five years, eight different scientists and chemists, trips all over uh, to find botanists, aromatherapists, herbalists, green scientists, just to help me put pieces of the formula together because it was really about deconstructing cosmetic formulas and rebuilding them with natural raw materials that needed to be found because they, they existed, but they had never been used in those applications. They were more like obscure, you know, like they were like gums from trees from Senegal, waxes from olives from Italy, you know, like you it required a lot
0: of time of experimentation. I'd love to hear more about that time because I think the, the process of physically launching is so interesting. It's one thing to have this idea, but it's another thing entirely to get it off the ground. So how did you go about finding those scientists that you've mentioned? How did you source the packaging? How did you decide which products you'd launch with? How did you physically go through those steps to launch the brand?
1: Well, I I just, again, using my engineering brain, (laughs) Um, I just took it like step by step and first and foremost, like I, I, first of all, I didn't even think about packaging. Like that was like the last thing in my mind first, it was really all about the formulas and it was many years just about the formula. Uh, I think that I didn't think about packaging until like the very last minute to be really honest with you. Um, and then it was a lot of like asking around and, you know, I would read a book, I bought tons of books to uh, get more informed. And then when there was a book that I really loved, I would contact the author and I would be like, I would look at the bio and I would be like, oh, he's the president of the Society of Aromatherapy in England. So I would Google, I would call, I would, you know, I would show up there, I would talk to them. And then some people wanted to work with me. Some other people didn't want to work with me. And, um, and I also realized that the way that business, that you know, cosmetic, um, products are developed. It's very outsourced. And, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of those labs that do formulas for many, many brands, they are not used to doing ground up formulation, which is what required to do with our line. It was more about like finding bases that already existed in their labs and then maybe, adding an ingredient from Colombia because I am Colombian or like adding something from the Amazons or, you know, mixing it, you know, changing the color, changing the smell. And, and that's not, and then they would be like, oh, and no worry, this is paraben free. You know, at the time, you know, it was all about being paraben free. And I would be like, really? So what natural preservatives do you have? And they'll be like, oh, no, no, we don't have a natural preservative. We'll just add phenoxyethanol. And I'd be like, but phenoxyethanol is another synthetic preservative. Like, that I can't use that. Again, I don't want to use any synthetic chemicals. And they thought that I was nuts. You know, it's like, lady, you know, like, we don't, like, you can't pay us enough money to for us to develop this formula. We don't know how to do it. I don't think that this will be possible. And uh, good luck, you know, good luck. So that's when I started fi- trying to figure out by contacting individual scientists that were really motivated by, you know, helping me figure out some other people just thought that I was really cool and wanted to hang out with me. Some other people thought that it was like an interesting, like intellectual challenge. Uh, and I just amassed a group of people that throughout the years just helped me put all the pieces together. And it took five years. And, and and it was like, a. I didn't realize how complicated it was just because I didn't come from the industry. So I didn't really understand like the nuances of creating products. So I thought that every brand created their own products and that they were unique to them and that it was like a whole endeavor. Right. And then when I am here behind the scenes trying to create a line and I realized that a lot of those brands were actually just kind of like, you know, it's like private label almost, you know, it's like, you go to the labs, you add like one or two ingredients, you change the name and boom, there you go. You're out in the market. Um, and, and I wanted to create a product that also didn't include one active ingredient, because after I did so much research on the biology of the skin, I also realized that the skin needs a lot of things for it to work properly. So there's no one ingredient that it's that it's a silver bullet for the skin. And I know that we love vitamin C and we love hyaluronic and I do too, but they're, they're not the end all be all of skincare. Like you need a lot of ingredients to work synergistically together. And that's what I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring, create a product that had a lot of actives and that was very multi-purpose and multitasking so that you get multiple results from that one product. Because even for me as a customer, I remember back then I had to buy so many things to cover my bases. I had to buy like my hyaluronic over here and then the vitamin C over there and then your vitamin B over here and then what about your acids and it's like you end up with so much stuff. I was like always curious about like why do they not mix this into all of these things into one product when they actually, you know, that can all of these ingredients can work together so that you can go into like a skincare diet and just buy one product that just works really hard for you. And that's what I wanted to formulate. And that also seemed to be impossible to a lot of labs. Um, So we ended up creating our own labs, which is ultimately what, what we wanted to do so that I could create really unique products for my clients um you know like when you buy our products like there's nothing like it in the market like you have to buy the products to get all of that mixture right like that curation which is what we're really well known for it's like we're more like a curator of like ingredients from all over the world that we add into one formula that just complement the result of one another and just make the formula work harder for you so, uh, yeah, it was just like really hard. I, I think that if I would have known back then, I was just like really naive with no idea of like, what was I getting into? Uh, I, I don't know if I would have known all of this, if I would have started, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it took so, 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 so long and it was so much work, but at the end of the day is it pays off because it's like, we create a product like no other. And also it's not only a product that it's. Great for you, and that makes your skin amazing, but it's also a product that makes people's lives better.
0: You've just touched on this, but I think it's worth sharing for anyone that's not aware. Your ingredients are sourced from something to the tune of about 68 countries, but your formulation, quality control, and your packaging is all executed from your farm in Vermont. So it's really all in house, which is so rare. So rare. I know. Uh, yeah, we bring
1: ingredients. Now it's like 80-something countries. I think it's the last time that we yeah, that we counted. It's like ingredients from like 80-something countries. But that's the other part that I wanted to keep this fantasy alive that I had as a customer. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I used to buy like my Swiss skincare line, I thought that it was coming from the Alps, you know, that they were like, you know, Swiss people like making all the products, and it was coming from this you know, this factory that was like in Switzerland. Um, and and it was quite disappointing to realize that that is also outsourced, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is that not only the formulation, it's outsourced for, for like 95% of the brands, or I don't even know what the exact percentage is. Uh, but also the production of the products, it's outsourced, which was also very shocking, especially for me that I'm an engineer and I was ready to do it all. You know, like I wanted to do it all. So, um, yeah, I, uh, so we set up our own labs where we make our own formulas. And in that lab in my farm in Vermont is where everything is made. You know, we, we don't make all the ingredients, like raw materials come from all over the world, as we were saying, but we are ultimately responsible for the quality of our products and for the production of our products, because I thought that that was the most important responsibility that I have. It's like, I'm sure that my clients don't care if I outsource my accounting, if I outsource mm. my comp. But I'm sure that they won't like it if they know that I'm not the one producing their products. That was important for me. And I felt that that was important for my clients. And it was like probably like one most important responsibility that I have is to ensure the freshness, the quality of my products. So um, I was living at the farm you already had a farm in Vermont and, and I, and, and it was an old dairy farm and we had lots of barns in the farm. So I was like, why don't we like renovate all of these barns, gut them out, like completely like overhaul them and create our factory here and our, and our labs and everything here so that we can fulfill that fantasy for our clients. And we can actually make the products because I felt like, it's like, if you go and buy bread, right. To this, to, to, to this uh, uh, pastry shop or whatever. And then you arrive there and then you realize that there's no formula, that it's specific to the bread maker, that actually there's no bread being produced there and that everything it's outsourced. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, like I want to be able to do all these things. And, uh, and that's why we set it all up. So yeah, in the farm, we we batch the products, like we make the products, we fill them, we package them, and we operate pretty much like a food company. It's not necessarily like a typical production of skincare either, which, you know, like when you go and you try to, you know, let's say you want to do like Gemma Watts skincare, right? Like you go to this contract manufacturer, that's what they're called. And then they give you their minimums. They're like, okay, Gemma, for your eye cream, we, you need to place an order of 5,000 for your serum. We need to produce a minimum of 10,000. And then what happens, Gemma, that you end up in a warehouse storing a lot of product, right? And by mm-hmm. the time that they get to your clients, they might be old, older than what they should, or you produce more than what you needed. And now you ended up being wasteful. So I was thinking about all the scenarios through my mind. I'm like, no, we, this is not about producing in an efficient way. This is a producing in a quality way, And that's why we produce every single month, every single one of our products. So sometimes the batches are really efficient, but sometimes they're not as efficient because it's, you know, it's all about the forecast and what it's actually needed every single
0: month. I'm so glad you've gone into detail on that because I feel like, I mean, and why would they be? But people aren't across the process. It's not as simple as just saying, okay, this is what we're going to make and this is how we do it. It, it, it. To make products, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much that happens
1: behind the scenes, Mm and especially if you are a modern company that have a lot of values around sustainability and transparency and responsibility. You know, like there is uh, a whole other factors that you need that come into play uh, so that you can be as sustainable as possible as well. So, um, you know, all those things come into play when you make all of these decisions. And and sustainability is always in my mind and in the mind of my team, as we make almost every decision, you know, Mm -hmm. so that we are not doing things that our customers are not expecting. And also we're a luxury brand and, you know, not a lot of uh, luxury, products allow the customer the opportunity to be sustainable because for the longest time luxury has been about excess and more packaging and you know the box inside of the box inside of the paper inside of the carton you know it's like it's there's so much excess um so you know we 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 paid so much attention when it was time to create packaging. It took a really long time to figure that out as well. So we ended up going with glass packaging for the most part. Like I think that 95% of our products come in glass because glass is infinitely recyclable. As long as people are recycling it, it actually, it's infinitely recyclable. So always be, available, right? Like that same glass. Same for, uh, you know, even how you decorate that glass. Like instead of using like synthetic inks, you have to use soy-based inks. Like that now costs more. Uh, if you want to talk about cartons and boxes, you ha- you know, like for us, it's really not an option to come down and tear down like a tree responsibly to create a box that people are going to throw away. Like we typically buy post-consumer paper, or uh, paper that comes from um, forests that are responsibly managed. That right there is like double the price. Uh, Same if you want to decorate with the carton with inks that are more sustainable, they don't pollute the water. So it's like everything uh, adds up and it's hard. It's hard to make those decisions because those decisions around sustainability and quality are expensive decisions. And it's sometimes things that customers don't realize. Uh, But I think that, you, you know, like if you want to buy something sustainable, like we need to wean ourselves off from this idea that things can, can all be cheap because sustainability is not cheap Mm -hmm. at least right now. I mean, it's a work in progress. We're all trying to adopt it and see how we incorporate it. And it's definitely, you will see, you know, economies of scale, but right now it's very hard and it's very expensive and, and, uh, And uh, yeah, but that's what we do. That's what our customers expect. And that's, you know, and we happily do it. I know that, you know, we will sell much more if things were less expensive, but we don't like to cut corners. We don't Mm. like to compromise like our values and the reasons why, you know, like what we're bringing to the table for our clients.
0: You mentioned in there that you're a luxury brand, which is absolutely the case. You launched in 2010. You were the first to create a really high end natural skincare brand and obviously natural skincare existed but I think in your own words it was mostly quote-unquote hippie shit you were talking before about how the only natural skincare that you could get was in like a health food shop being the first to to do what you've done create a luxury natural skincare brand it's it takes kind of a an additional education piece I think how did you educate consumers on what you were doing? This is the thing. Whenever you create something so new, there's, there's a whole other, you know, element that involves getting people on board. So how did you go about it?
1: yeah, um, I honestly don't remember saying hippie shit. I am I feel that I'm a little bit of a hippie myself, like an urban hippie and I have like lots of hippie friends that I love and it's not, by no means like derogatory. I think that maybe I was like maybe referring to the quality of the product. Sure. Um, it was really um, it was really hard. We spent a lot of time educating the clients and speaking about like why naturals were better. Right. Like why, why are they better? And what I also realized is that there was a, like a, a, a demand that already existed for what we created and people, some people didn't have to be convinced, right? Like they were looking for what we created, which was quite shocking. Cause a lot of the experts that I talked to when I was creating the products, they um they thought that you know serious skincare customers were never interested and will never be interested in natural hippie shit like what you said. Um but uh you know I feel that now, for example, Clients like that has completely shifted. And if anything, the world is moving in our direction and clients are looking for things that are more healthy and that are better for, you know, that elevate the, their, their quality of life. I mean, we are a byproduct of the wellness movement. If the wellness movement didn't exist, we wouldn't exist and uh and, and 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 people are more interested in making healthier decisions and elevating uh again like their quality of life sustainability and all of these different things that are part of like our world right and uh and it took um a lot but it did it did take me speaking about that a lot and i also love educating clients on 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 beauty and skincare and like all of the things that I had learned from growing up in Colombia with like this family that is obsessed with beauty. Um, So I spent a lot of time, and I still do, uh, doing events and beauty classes. And in those beauty classes, we talk about naturals. We also talk about like what's the best way to layer products in the skin, like the science of layering, of uh, why do you need a serum? Why do you need an eye cream? Um, and, and it's, it's been fun. It's been fun. I've been, I've been enjoying it because it like puts me like right in front of, you know, my clients and people and, and, and let you kind of like talk about all this, you know, about the importance of all these factors that a lot of times people don't even realize.
0: What is it that you think takes a product to that luxury level? Is it you know, the formulas are still natural. So is it beautiful packaging? Is it the surrounding lifestyle piece? Does it come down to the efficacy? Is it a combination of those things?
1: I think that a product it's high. It's really about the quality Mm -hmm. of all the inputs and the complexity of the product, right? Like if you have a product that it's only around one ingredient, well, that's not, you know, like, That's not that expensive. You can probably get that at a lower price point. Um, And also it, you know, but when you're trying to add, like, for example, our our Elixir Vitae, like this serum right here has 72 Mm -hmm. active ingredients that, you know, so it's like (laughs) you can't find that anywhere. So it's like this element of like uniqueness, right? That also makes the product special. And then there's the quality of the products because even for me as a producer of these products like there's tons of alternatives for many different types of ingredients like for example hyaluronic acid just to give you like a random example there's maybe out there in the market maybe 500 different types of hyaluronic acid right Mm-hmm. So it boils down to buying the hyaluronic acid that has the clinical data, that has the penetration, uh, that has the penetration capabilities, that has the right molecular weight or different weights. Like we stock in our in our lab, like maybe twenty different types of hyaluronic acid with many different types of molecular weights because they all target different layers of the skin. Um, and in many of our moisturizers, we use many different types of molecular sizes so that you hydrate from the deepest layer all the way into the last layer of the skin. So where where do you find that? You know what I mean? Like where do you find all of that mixture, that combination of factors? And that is what makes a product from going from low end to high end, in my opinion.
0: While we are still sort of on that launch period, it's been reported that you raised around $500,000 in seed capital that you were then able to launch with. This is a really broad question, but what would your advice be to anyone who is looking to launch a business and maybe unsure of how to go about raising funds?
1: Well, you need funds to start, uh, to start anything, right? Yeah. Like it, and it depends on what you're trying to launch, right? Like maybe there's something that you can launch from your kitchen and you don't need a lot of capital. And you maybe don't need to raise anything, right? Like you might be able to do it. I started with my savings and I poured all my savings into it because I believed in what I was doing. Uh, But I think that if you are in a business that requires raising funds and you're not good at that, then find a partner that Mm -hmm. is good at doing that because you are going to need capital (laughs) to start the business, to create the know-how, to create the technology, to create whatever it is that you're going to create. And then you're going to need you're going to need funds to bring it out into the world. Right. Um, I think that if you're making a skincare uh, company right now, there's a lot of options because a really hot market for investors, you know, like there's so much money being poured into, uh, into beauty. Uh, But I think that you need to be careful about what type of money you accept because it all depends on why you started the company. Right. So for example, in my In my case, I didn't start this company to make a quick buck, to like receive money, make the company huge, and then sell it out like as soon as possible, right? As soon as my investor wanted to get out. Um, And also it depends on like what are the investors that you're finding? Because some investors might not have like your same ideas and your same vision of like how to exit. Uh, But if you're starting a company that you, it's like your passion, you want to keep working at it for years and years to come then you might want to avoid those type of financing vehicles. And you might want to, you have to look deeper about like, you know, what are the the people that can give you funds that will align with your overall strategies and vision for the future. But in, in, in any case, I think that if you're not good at raising money, then find a partner that is really savvy at the stuff that can help you put the right plan together, depending on the ultimate goal of why you're starting the company.
0: Of course, it's so important. And as you've just said, it's very important to you to be working with the right people, people that have the same end goal in mind. You now have around 150 employees. The process of hiring and the process of bringing people into a business, particularly within a brand that bears its founder's name, is always something that I find really interesting. How did you know when it was time to start expanding and how to this day how do you ensure that all 150 people are representing your brand and in turn you as authentically as possible?
1: yeah i mean I don't, I don't i don't know if the count is 150 i think it's a little more than that um i think that you know when you need to start hiring people because you don't have enough hours in the day to do mm-hmm. it all right and who can do things alone no one uh you know especially if you want to grow um and, and you and, and your vision for the future is to have like a global brand like i do like you need to start finding people that can help you and that have complementary skill sets or that maybe can replace you in doing certain tasks. Like I think that I've done almost every task in my brand from making products to shipping boxes to like you name it. Um, I think for us, it's really important the attitude. I am not so much tied up in expertise or like, are you an expert in this or that? Because I am a believer that a lot of people can learn a lot of things if they have the passion and also... If, they, if they're passionate like you about like the values of your company, the lifestyle that you're promoting, right? I think that all those things are really important in my team because then they appreciate what we do much more. And also, they're happy to put in the extra work because what we do is really hard, as you have, we've been talking about. So, you know, when they believe, have this, your same belief system and all these things that you're trying to do are important to them as well around sustainability, around quality, around freshness, you know, then, then, you know, that you have the right people. And, um, and I think that also hiring excellent team leaders uh, now that we're all remote, that has been really key uh, that are equally passionate as you are uh, and, uh, and just, you know, being on the ground with their teams. And sometimes we don't hire the right people, but that's pretty evident, you know, when we do, and then, you know, and then we keep looking until we find them and, That's how we have done it. And I think that that is the case, not only for brands that bear the founder's names necessarily, that just in general for companies that have a very strong company culture and that have very strong values around what, you know, what they stand for, what they bring to the table to their clients.
0: You are stocked all over the world now and through major retailers like Sephora here in Australia. From region to region, have there been any major differences that you've noticed in the way that people approach beauty and more specifically their attitudes towards natural skincare?
1: I think that the attitude towards beauty globally is embedded in the culture. Sure. Uh, For example, here in the U.S., it's very straightforward. People want smaller, uncomplicated routines where less is more, less steps, more simple, especially compared to, let's say, Asian culture or like Latin culture, where I come from that we love to indulge. Like more is more, <laughs> you know, it's like we all were asking like, oh my God, like, can we triple cleanse? Like we don't even like to double cleanse like now We're like triple cleansing. Like, it's not just about the moisturizer. We want serum, we want essence, we want eye cream, right? Um, and I think that it's, it, you know, it's, that's a big factor and it's the culture and how much they appreciate the ritual. For me, um, beauty is such a transformative ritual. Like, you know, like I personally, like after the whole day going to my bathroom after working and some days are really hard and really stressful, and But you go and you wash your face and you put the creams on and then you are like, oh my God, I, you start just feeling better. You know what I mean? And then you leave the bathroom and then you're a completely different person, different different mood. Uh, and, and, and I think that a lot of that has to do around your own personal attitudes towards beauty and how the culture values and sees beauty. Um, I think that what you're asking about, like natural in particular, I think that there's always... You know like with the wellness movement something that's happening globally and uh and and there's a large group of people that are part of that of the wellness movement which is not a trend it's really a movement uh that and they and they embrace that and and we always find clients for our products wherever we are in the world
0: you have sat at the helm of your brand for over 10 years now over that time, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry?
1: If anything, that there's been an explosion and desire to go in our direction. Which is funny, because mm-hmm. when I started, everybody thought that it was that it was like a losing proposition that no one was interested in what I was doing, um, and uh, and so I think that that piece has been. Pretty incredible. <laughs> I think that also when I launched like clean, the whole like clean movement didn't exist at all. Mm. It was just about being natural and being organic, which was pretty straightforward, right? Like if you have a product that it's 100% natural, like we do, like people understand that. Or, or okay, this product is organic. And then you could see the percentage of organic content. Like for us, for example, like our whole line is certified by Ecocert. Um, so, you know, like people can read in our packaging that everything, like 100% of the total ingredients come from natural origins and then 85% are organic, right? Which, you know, it's basically how those ingredients were farmed. What we're saying is like 85% of the ingredients are grown without pesticides, fertilizers, or genetically modified seeds. Um, so I think that with the rise of clean, It has been great in the sense that it's an effort that a lot of companies are making for their clients and trying to do things better, right? Um, They are trying to either add more natural ingredients to the formulas. They are trying to be more sustainable. Uh, But the issue is that from a client's point of view, it's really confusing Mm. because the firm doesn't stand for anything. There's no third party seal that you can get to regulated or to, you know, like there's no universal definition for what it stands for. And for every brand it stands, you know, the word clean is, means different things. So it just brings, you know, to more leads to customer confusion and disappointment where people might interpret clean in one way when there's actually the exact opposite. So you know, for some brands clean, it's about removing parabens or removing SLS or the dirty six ingredients or for other brands it's about their sustainability efforts and so on. So it has, it's good in the sense that we're all moving in the right direction, right? From that standpoint, I think it's fabulous. But then from the consumer standpoint, I just think that it's really confusing because not every, every, every brand the term clean means different things for us clean means zero tolerance for synthetic chemicals like we don't use any synthetic chemicals in our formulas like everything that we all of the raw materials that we use come from the earth um and uh and also for us sustainability has been embedded in the brand since the beginning it's like one of the core values that we have embraced So that's what clean means to us. But cleans have like a thousand different definitions. And then also uh, like retailers have their own definition of clean. So it's, 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 it's just confusing. Hmm. And that's why I am a big believer in third party seals and in certifications, because those are the best friends for customers. They really tell you. Like when you look at a brand and you see the seals that they have, it really tells you the importance that they they place on all of those different values, right? Like for example, we have EcoCert as our third party seal for the natural content, the organic content, and they also certify that our packaging is as sustainable as possible. So it's really high, it's a really, really high bar. And it's really expensive to get EcoCert. It's really complicated. They come to our farm every three months to audit everything, (laughs) everything. Like they will sit down and they will be like, okay, show me the invoices of X, Y, or Z. And then you have to like pour everything out. And they do that for every product every three months. So it's it's a commitment and it tells our clients that we are really committed to that. Or for example, the seals around vegan or, you know, the FSC seal like the Forest certified seal like all those things are optional like no one is asking me to get them I'm not required to get them I do it for my clients so that my customers become more informed consumers Um, and I think that in this world of clean and ambiguous definitions seals and third-party certifications are actually the best way of knowing what you're actually buying
0: it takes the guesswork out of it yeah exactly that in mind what changes do you think that we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years?
1: We honestly think that everything will be clean Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the future Uh, because who wants to be putting like dirty products on their skin right like no one Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that customer awareness is definitely growing like customers are asking like very uh, smart questions or getting very smart about, you know, uh, all of these things. Um, And I am also a big believer in reuse, you know, refilling and reusing your packaging from a sustainability standpoint, for example, like that's something that we, are seriously looking into we launched our first refillable product which is our water lock moisturizer last year which was really like a a pilot into like okay let's see how um ready our customers to embrace this and let's you know let's pace ourselves and you know let's see how 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 to do refills um in a way that it works and that it makes a difference and that people are actually embracing it and want to be able to refill and reuse because reusing it's better than recycling. Uh, you know, like sometimes I even like myself throw, like, you know, like I'm done with a serum and then I throw everything in the recycling bin and I'm like, well, but that pump was perfect. The bottle was not broken. The cap was perfect. Like, why am I like recycling this stuff? Like, why I don't have a refill that I can use this packaging for like many, many, you know, many months
0: and even years, right? Mm. My final question What is next for Tata Harper? What is next for Tata Harper? Uh, I mean, it's keep
1: expanding, keep uh, expanding around the world. I mean, we still have, there's still a lot of countries that. We are not, we don't have a presence. And uh, last year we expanded into a couple new territories and also just being able to cater to more and more clients and be more inclusive. Like for example, we just launched uh, a new collection like last month that's called Kind, that it's for allergic reactive skin. And that collection is, uh, for a client that, for example, we don't have right now, people that have reactions to things, um, or that have very allergic skin or that, you know, that they have, you know, now we understand that there's a connection between your skin and your gut and that that skin gut connection manifests through your skin because it's all skin, right? It goes down your tongue into your gut and, uh. So that collection, for example, it, we excluded like all the top food allergens like gluten and wheat and harsh ca- acids and uh, and also like all those top dermatological ingredients that are constantly monitored by dermatologists like essential oils and fragrances and retinols and vitamin C and a lot of the things that can't be used when you have allergic skin or you're prone to stressed out skin. Um, and, and that that is going to expand I'm also working in like new categories so it's yeah we're we're having fun we're very passionate and we're there's never like a dull moment but just keep uh, keep at it and keep uh, listening to our clients and making sure that they're happy with the products that we are creating for them
0: that was Tata Harper founder of her namesake brand Tata Harper which you can find on Instagram at Tata Harper skincare To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at GemKWatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.